so honored to be here. And um, wow, I, I didn't expect uh, this many people. And uh, I, I, I told some of our staff, yeah, I'm speaking at Amaze tonight. And they're like, man, those guys are so excited. You know, <laughs> you can always tell when there's a group gathering who are from Amaze or who's from New Philly. Because they're, they're, uh, they're so excited and they're jumping up and down. And you're like, relax. It's only the announcements, man. And <laughs> so uh, I'm so honored. to. Oh, I come bearing gifts. Um, Anybody's birthday this month? Anybody's birthday? Okay. Uh, I have a couple of issues of uh, our uh, a devotional that uh, I, I've been working with for many, many years. It's called Living Life. And you guys could uh, see it online. You guys could order it online if you want. But uh, it's a devotional kind of thing. And if you guys could pass it down to whoever. I, I know the month is already half over. But anybody else's birthday in the front? Okay. Your birthday? Is it your birthday? Okay. Happy birthday. I have a, I have a November birthday, too. I come bearing more gifts. Um, this is a pe- this is a pen. Uh, this is yeah the the the, G- the famous G Kim pen. I know, they explode, they break. Oh, you guys have it! Wow, uh, I have many many different colors, but it's only one ink, and so uh, it's it's all the black ink, and so um, yeah, uh, they break and they explode. And I don't know who ordered them. We're, we're just giving them out, and so uh, uh, as you guys pass these out. Um, Take one and pass it down, and I'll explain a little bit more about what GKIM is. GKIM, as uh, Tina said, stands for Global Kingdom Young Adult Missions, and it's a global movement where we've done six. We've actually done six uh, conferences in uh, the United States, in Niagara Falls, in uh, San Diego, in um, in Rochester, in Toronto, and last year in Chicago. And last year when we did it in Chicago, um, you know, we had John Piper come and, and uh, Lauren Cunningham was a speaker. And, and uh, we had, uh, we had uh, John Newfeld from Starfield, not our John Newfeld, but John Newfeld from Starfield lead worship. And we had, uh, we had, a, we had a great time. Mark, uh, Matt Redman uh, led worship. It was, it was really, really powerful. And uh, we had, you know, every conference we have about three, 4,000 people come. And we realized that there is something happening in Korea. And there's a great move of God happening in Korea. I'm going to share a little bit about that tonight. And tonight I just hope to share kind of God's bigger vision of what's happening here and why, what you're doing here in Korea. I know many of you guys are here only for a semester or for the whole year or maybe just for a few months. But I believe that God is doing something greater. And as um, our friends uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, God is raising up a new generation, an army, a vast army out of young people who are coming into Korea. And there's this powerful move of God happening as he raises up this army, as he's training up this army. And so, you know, um, as I was praying for you guys, I know not all of you guys go to New Philly, but, uh, but um, as I was praying for you guys, uh, two verses came to mind. And as I was praying for this meeting, I was praying for this group. How many of you guys have ever been to Hillside uh, Campus? Hillside, okay, a lot of you guys. Okay, man, they should change the name from Hillside to Mountainside because that's no Hillside. You know, in the internet, it says, oh, if you cross over the bridge and go up the, go up the little hill, it's right there. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, you need those walking sticks, and, and uh, you probably need, like, mountain climbing gear to, in order to get there. And I was thinking about that. You know, I visited, I, 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 shared at, um, I shared at the Itaewon campus as well. You get there, and you're like, um, I, I asked the guy at the, uh, the front desk, where's the elevator? And he laughed at me. He's like, there's no elevator here. And you're like, you have to walk up five flights of steps to get there. You know, I, I spoke uh, two weeks ago, I shared last two weeks ago at the Pusan uh, campus, at the Seaside campus, and it's impossible to find. You know, you can't find it. You look everywhere. That the, my, my driver was going around everywhere trying to find it, and we finally found it. I walked in 30 minutes late. It was crazy, and, and there was fire falling down. It was, it was amazing. But one thing that came to mind was that, you know, I was so unused to that because in America, I, you know, um, everything's so convenient. And my, 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 uh, the young people in our church, I, I called them, why didn't you come to church today? 
I fell asleep. You know, I, I went to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. Or, or, or um, they'll, they'll complain about this and that. Or I, I literally had one of my uh, – they'll say, oh, there's a football game on. And, uh, or they'll use every excuse in the book. I have, actually have people say the parking lot was full. I walked – we walked, drove around the parking lot. We couldn't find parking space, and so we just went home. And I was so used to that that when I first visited Hillside or Mountainside or whatever you want to call it, and I saw – Hundreds of these young people just so on fire for God and, and just uh, revival breaking out in, 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 in these areas. God showed me, man, there's something happening here. And, and one of the things that, um, one of the verses came to mind was Isaiah chapter 2. It says, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, you know, uh, to the house of our God. And he will teach us of his way and we will walk in his path. And it reminded me that th- there needs to be, an, there, you know, it's, it, when you hunger for God, when you hunger for anything, it's inconvenient. You know, it's inconvenient to hunger for something. If you really want something bad enough, you'll, you'll, you'll walk up, you'll walk, you'll climb Mount Everest to get there. And there's a hunger for God that's stirring the hearts of so many young people. That hunger for God comes from him, comes from God himself. Because he's stirring up a hunger in this generation of young people for what God is about to do. I'm, I'm really sick. My voice is starting to go. But I've been speaking like past few days, just uh, so many different places. So excuse my voice. I know you guys are recording this. And for those of you guys who are listening on podcast or whatever, this isn't nor- how I normally sound. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's starting. I've been talking all day long. And maybe you guys saying, too, I talk too much. Anyways. But, but I really believe that God is raising up a new generation of, what, of, of an army of what God is going to be doing. That's what I want to share a little bit about tonight. I also believe, I know some of you guys are here temporarily, you know, for the next few months. But I believe that you Korea or return to Asia. Okay. Keep that in your mind. Keep that on your radar. And God is giving you a taste of this country, of this land. God, God is giving you a vision so that, when you're, so that when you go back to where you're, wherever you're from, when you're studying, when it gets hard, you have this vision in mind of why God wants you to study. Why God wants you to work hard. Why God wants you to be diligent in, in whatever he's called you to do. Okay? And so, <clears throat> just to kind of give you an um, a, a, a introduction, um, God is doing a new thing. And, um, and, and you look at the biblical patterns in scripture. You know, when Moses uh, left, his, uh, left his country of Egypt, God called him back 40 years later. Couldn't speak the language. Wasn't able to, you know, relate to the people. And he came back, didn't know the culture. Forty years, he, he was separated. God said, go back to your own people. You look at Abraham. He left his own country. God said, leave your country. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave everything that's comfortable for you. And then he ultimately returned back home. You look at Nehemiah, who had a great job. He had, a, he had all, this thing, all this going for him. He left his home country. He, he got word of the walls that were broken down. And he was returned back to his home country. And so I know many of you guys aren't from Korea, but I believe that many of you will come back to Korea one of these days. Okay? Keep that vision in mind. All the things that you're learning here, don't forget about them because God is raising up this generation for a bigger purpose of what's going to happen in the time to come. And so <laughs> this is what this conference is all about. And um, you know, we really want to see, we want, really want to plant vision in the hearts of young people through this conference. I know it's happening during uh, Christmas time. Many of you guys might even be going away, but even if you could change your dates and even if you could, you know, this is going to be an exciting event. I really believe that God is going to be moving through this event and that God is going to be raising up, you know, these missional minded um, young people uh, through this uh, event. December 26th to 28th this year. Okay. It's happening in about a month, a little over a month's time. And, uh, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I was uh, actually 
I was actually the director of um, uh, I was I was assistant director of G Kim in Chicago last year, and uh, they asked me to come on board for Chicago for Seoul uh, G Kim conference. G Kim original, originally searched for Global Korean Young Adult Missions, and I said, um, unless you change that K to Kingdom, I refuse to come on board. Because there's nothing wrong with the K. There's nothing wrong with being Korean. But if we want to have this global perspective, if we want to see this, you know, a, a great move of God, we gotta, we, we got to stop focusing on, on Koreans. And we got to have this global perspective of what God is doing in the world. Okay? And so with that, uh, I just want to share a little bit with you. Um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get straight into God's word this evening. Okay, let's pray together. <clears throat> God, um, yeah, my voice is starting to go. But God, uh, in my weakness, I just pray that you would... Uh, Release your power and your strength this evening. As I look out, God, I just see the fire in the young people, and I believe that you put it there. And I pray that this fire would just grow, just stronger and stronger. That they would, uh, these young people would go to uh, um, across their campuses, across their schools, uh, into their classrooms, into their families, into their homes, wherever they're from. And they would, they would carry this fire with them wherever they go. Would you bless us in our time together, looking into your word as we study together, God? I pray that your hand would be upon us, that you would use your servant as your mouthpiece to speak to these young people, to ignite something in their hearts, God, to be able to see a little bit more of you tonight. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Two verses I want to share with us. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to it. If, if not, just listen to the sound of my voice. And these are the uh, scriptures that I'm going to be focusing on tonight. Um, the first one comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This is a passage that we all know. And it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Um, the message tonight is t- entitled, The Missional Life. Okay, everyone say, The Missional Life. The Missional Life. And I want you to know, like I've been saying, that you're part of a greater mosaic of the fabric of what God is weaving into the, uh, into the whole world. There's something, you know, you guys are trailblazers. I, I, I'm so blessed to be at this campus because this, camp, this campus represents the trailblazers. Uh, if you walk up just a, a few meters up, up this road, there's a statue of Horace Underwood, one of the founders of the school, who came over 100 years ago thinking, you know, as uh, one of the first missionaries who landed in Korea. You know, who, who, would have, who would have thought, you know, who would have thought that because of one man's sacrifice, men like Horace Underwood or, or uh, Alan... Um, Allen, um, Henry Allen, um, as they came to Korea, when they first got here, they landed off, they, they got off the boat, and they started to meet the people. They said, they, they wrote in their journals, these are the most lazy and backward people that we've ever met. And people asked them, why go to Korea? Out of all the places that you could go in the world, you know, you could make a lot more influence if you went to Japan, or if you went to China, or if you went to other places in, you know, in, in Europe. I mean, why, why go to a, this little country called Korea? And people were asking them, you know, and, and uh, over 127 years ago, you know, um, the, the founders of this school, the founders of uh, Seoul Union Church came together and, and, and they made a plan. Uh, they, they, they prayed and they made a plan of how they would reach Korea, how they would strategize to reach Korea. Seoul, Seoul Union's church still exists today, you know, and um, my, uh, this, has, this, place, this campus has a special place for me because 
um, my father studied in seminary here. And so I was actually conceived here. I have pictures where, you know, my, my, my mom is pregnant and uh, he's going through graduation. And, and you know, I was, I was still in the be- you know, belly and stuff like that, you know. Um, many years later, 1988, I came back here as a college student. 1988, some of you guys weren't even born. <laughs> 1988, I came back as a college student. I studied at this campus, you know. 19, um, uh, 1999, I came back here as the, uh, as the pastor of actually the group where this the, uh, the group where this group was actually birthed. Uh, back then it was called YICF, Yonsei International uh, Fellowship. Yeah. And I was the pastor that led YICF. And so I have very, you know, a lot of connections with this campus and, and it has a very special place. Actually, in 1988, we've started our, when I first came here as a college student, we started our first little Bible study. There was talk about, you know, um, uh, there was a group from the United States, a group of Korean Americans who came and they had their Bible study. The, the, the group that came the following year said, there was a group last year that came together for Bible study. Let's start this Bible study. Let's continue this Bible study tradition every summer. That summer started, turned into the whole year. People started meeting together. YICS started by, you know, Onerdy Church. I, I actually came back in 1999. I became the pastor at Onerdy Church and I served there for seven years, met my wife there. I originally came here. You know, this is what Korea does to you. I originally came here thinking, I'll be here three weeks. Right? I'll be, I came with one suitcase, no, no winter clothes. I said, I'll be here three weeks, and I'm going back home. And Korea just has a way of sucking you in. You know, and you're like, three weeks? Man, I came here. I came here thinking I'll be here three weeks. I stayed for seven years. Seven years, I found a wife, and I'm like, man, what is going on? You know? I'm scared because I came exactly a year ago this month to Korea to visit. John, John do you remember that? I came exactly a year ago to Korea this month thinking that I was only going to stay for three weeks. It's already been a year, and I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm like, God, what do you want? I still have a house and cars and all my stuff back in the States. I didn't bring any winter clothes, so I had to go buy something, you know. And so my wife and I are looking for coats and stuff like that. But, but, um, but you never know what God is going to do. But, you know, as I come back, you know, I came here in 1999. I left in 2006. But as I returned, I realized that the landscape of English ministries and the international community, the spiritual level in Korea has changed these past seven years. Something is very, very different. You might think that this is normal, you know, but, but what's going on right now isn't what was going on seven years ago. Okay. I mean, seven years ago, it was good. It was okay. You know, some of us older people remember you know, and we thought we'd get them together. We, you know, we have this, our English ministry service and everything. And, we'll, and some of them will get married and we'll send them back home. And that's it, you know. But there's something very, very vastly different from what was happening 10 years ago. And I look at the trailblazers. I, I look at guys like Underwood and Allen. You, you, know, you could go visit their grave sites about, about 20 minutes from here. Go visit their grave sites. Walk around their grave sites and, and see what's written on their tombstones. It's amazing. And how they sacrificed everything, coming to this little country, and the impact and the ripple effects that they've had for generations afterwards. I do really commend um, the the young leaders of churches today, of uh, international ministries and English ministries today, making global, being the trailblazers, making ripple effects worldwide. Um, I've I've mentioned this many times, and and, uh, some of you guys have heard this before, but for those of you who have not heard, there is a global shift going on right now in the world. You know, the hub of Christianity has actually changed, has shifted from Europe to North America. And in the past decade or so, things are moving in a powerful way in Asia, in parts of Africa, and parts of South America, okay, what they call the global south. Okay. There is a powerful move of God happening. 
And I believe that, you know, this is a very strategic and significant time, especially in Korea today. Because in Korea, somehow Korea became the gateway to Asia. Somehow Korea became, you talk to anybody who comes to Korea, a lot of the, lot, many of them will say that, uh, yes, and why are they coming to Korea? They'll say that in order to get to anywhere else in Asia, you have to go through Korea. Beautiful airport. Eight years in a row. Number one airport in the world. You know, you, some of you guys might have heard this. They, they stopped doing this contest because every year Korea won. You know, beautiful airport. I know, the, I know the architect who built this airport. He's a strong, born-again Christian, on-fire Christian. He actually builds churches now. You go to visit his churches, they all look like airports. You know, I think that's very significant. He built a church in Toronto. It looks just like an airport. You know, I'm like, wow, what is this? I think it's very significant. I think it's even prophetic that you build these churches uh, not to gather people together, but to send them off. You, just wanna, you don't want to gather people together. It's not about the seating capacity, but it's about their sending capacity. And so your generation, I believe, is so important. Your generation are, are, are well-educated. You're, you have this worldwide view of culture. You know, you're, um, you're, you're, uh, many of you guys are, are trilingual, bilingual, quatrilingual. I'm not going to say the joke because I offend many, many people. You guys know the joke. I'm, I'll say it. <laughs> you, know, you know what you call somebody who only knows one language? American. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've said that other places and... Pastor Leo, can't believe you said that. I'm so offended. But in Korea today, it's a very important time, especially for college students. You know, 10 years ago in Korea, um, actually, when I visit back to the States, you know, I've been going back and forth for the past year, but when you visit back to the United States now, um, everything's going down. You know, spiritually, morally, economically, everything's just going down the drain. It's really scary what's happening in America today. You know, the decline of Christianity in America took about 50 years to happen. About 50 years. In Korea, they say everything happens pali pali. Everything happens very, very quickly. They say what happened in America could very well take place in Korea within the next 10 years. And actually, most people say that it's already started. Ten years ago when I was serving at YICF, 14 years ago when I was serving at YICF here at this campus, about 30% of college students profess faith in Jesus Christ. 30% of your peers here in Korea profess faith in Jesus Christ. Today, less than 5% of college students believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, even nominally. Say that they're Christian or go to church. Amongst high school and junior high school students, less than 3% Profess faith in Jesus Christ. You see all these mega churches out there, and you go to their visit their youth groups. Their youth groups only have maybe a few hundred people, compared to the thousands in their uh, in the adult congregation. Somewhere along the line, in the past ten years, we lost a whole generation. Whether it be to studies, or whether it be to materialism, whether it be whatever else it might be, we lost a whole generation. And so that's why I say it's a very very important time in uh, in, in in the church today. But there is, there is hope. There is things that, you know, there are pockets of revival happening in Korean churches. I don't ever, you know, I don't ever criticize the Korean church because I think the Korean church has done so many amazing things in, the, in, in, in history. And I believe that God will revive the church again. You know, I had to repent recently. I shared, some, uh, I shared this with some, some people that, that, um, um, uh, that uh, I, had this, I had this vision, I had this dream that, one day, you know, we've been praying for North Korea since we were little kids. You know, I remember when I was in high school and we were praying for North Korea, crying out for North Korea. God, unify this nation and all this kind of stuff. And we were praying and praying. And 
when I visited, uh, when, I, when I attended the One Voice uh, um, event about uh, a month ago, you guys, some of you guys were there, uh, the One Voice event, I really had to repent. Because in my thinking, I was thinking the moment that North Korea opens, that we're going to go and we're going to save this country. We're going to come, come and proclaim the gospel. You know, in my arrogance, in my American arrogance, I was thinking that we're going to go in, we're going to build churches, we're going to do some great things. And I came to realize the church today isn't ready to go into North Korea. If North Korea opened tomorrow, we wouldn't know what to do. The church wouldn't be ready. You know, the Mormons are ready. The, the Moonies are already in there. The Jehovah's Witnesses are preparing. They're waiting at the starting, starting line. They're waiting at the border. When, when is this going to open? But the church isn't ready. And I think by God's grace, God hasn't opened North Korea yet. But I think what will happen is that instead of us sending missionaries into North Korea for the past 50, 50 plus years, the North Korean church has been alive and they've been on fire and God has been incubating them in the oven of persecution and suffering for the past 50 years. That when the doors of North Korea open, my hope and my prayer is that the North Korean Christians would come down to South Korea and show them what real faith is all about, what real faith looks like. Show us it's not about the big buildings. It's not about you know, building the mega church. It's not about sitting in a church on Sunday morning and that's your faith. And that's how you live out your faith. But they would come down and show us what a real relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. I hope that, I hope that would happen one day. The most mission-sending country in the world, percentage-wise, per capita. Anybody know where it is? Anybody know? It's not America. It's not, it's not Korea. China? One day China will be. Okay. China's scary. China's a sleeping giant. China is, when China wakes up, man, it's going to be scary. They're raising up a million missionaries to go into Middle East because, um, because uh, you know, they've already been through their suffering. They, they, communists came into China 60 years ago. They thought, we're going to eradicate Christianity. We're going to kick out all the Christians. You know, we're going to kick out all the Western pastors. Um, and in, in doing that, they actually, uh, they actually grew the Chinese church. You know? 60 years ago, a million Chinese uh, Christians in China. Today, there are more Chinese Christians worshiping this past Sunday than all of Europe combined. It's incredible what's happening. But it's not China. It's not China. Number one mission sending country in the world, Mongolia. Mongolia. Because Mongolia, by definition, Mongolians are nomads. They, they don't have, you know, a lot of them don't have houses. Their, their houses are horse. You know, you guys go to eat shabu shabu, you know, that's a Mongolian food. You know, the, the reason why it's flat is because they put it in their horses, you know, in their saddles. And then while they're riding, it gets all flat. You know, and, and, and you know, they, it's easy to make. You get a pot, boiling pot of water, make the stew, and then, and then uh, you just put, dip it in and you eat it. That's what shabu shabu is. Shabu shabu literally means bouncing up and down. Shabu 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 shabu. Anyways, so in, in case you're ever on Jeopardy, that you, could, you could, you know, uh, you, could, uh, you could use that. But Mongolia, because once they, re- number one, they're trained by missionaries. Missionaries train them. It's already in their DNA. But also, when they, when they receive the gospel, they get blessed. They get, you know, their, their, life, their life is transformed. They're, they can't wait to get out and share that with their, uh, their brothers and their sisters. They can't wait to go out and they get on their horses. The problem is they're not being trained enough to, to, uh, to uh, train other people. They're already off going and spreading the gospel once they hear it. But God is moving in Asia in a powerful way. And these past few months, I've had the opportunity to travel to different countries and just blown away by what God is doing. And so, um, I want to share just a little bit about, uh, yeah, just the, the calling that we have. Um, the, the calling that we have to preach the gospel to all nations. In the passage that we just read in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission says, um, Go therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations. Actually, I've heard, I've been to a lot of different, a um, uh, lot of different conferences, a lot of different uh, preachers who so emphasize that go part. We have to go. We have to get out there. We have to, we have to do our thing. Um, and the fact of the matter, yeah, we have to go. That, that's true. That's, uh, I mean, God will send us. But actually, when you look at the original Greek of that passage, that go word is not a command. It's what we call, um, what's, what they call in Greek, um, an aorist passive tense. And so it's really hard, it's really difficult to translate into English, but the best way to translate it is to say, as you are going. In other words, wherever God is sending you, wherever, wherever God takes you, as you are going, the, one, the only command in that whole passage is make disciples. Go make disciples. The word Christian is only used four times in the whole New Testament. It's only used very derogatory, very, very derogatory terms. It's, very, it's used very negatively. Usually when the Roman government calls Christians, it literally means little, little Christ. It was little Christ. 266 times in the New Testament, in order to define a follower of Jesus Christ, it uses the word disciple. Disciple. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Jesus, God says, I don't want more Christians. I don't want just more people filling up the pews. I want disciples who take up their crosses daily and follow after me. That's what I'm looking for. We need to preach the gospel. And this gospel is the good news. We have to preach the gospel to the nations. The promise is in Matthew chapter 24 that when this gospel, when this good news reaches every ethnic group, every nation, every, every people group in the whole world, and then the end will come. Stephen Covey, the, uh, Stephen Douglas, the president of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, actually says that if we're faithful to this call, if we're faithful to preach the gospel, if we're faithful to, allow, to take this gospel to unreached, unengaged people groups into the whole world, we could actually see the end of the world come within the next 10 years. Within our lifetime, we could actually see the gospel reach every people group in the whole world. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins. That's the good news. Anyone, the most inclusive religion in the world, every other religion will say, you know, you got to do this or reach a certain level or be good or, or try hard. The gospel is the only religion in the world that says anyone who believes in this, anyone who takes Jesus as their savior, in an instant, anyone who repents and believes in an instant has eternal life with him. Because Christ has suffered the full wrath of God for my sin. He's traded places with me. Suffered the full wrath of God. You know, taken, lived the perfect life that I should have lived. Died the death that I should have died. This is the message of hope to the world. This is the centerpiece of everything that we believe in. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. It's not through our fancy words. Or it's not through our techniques that people are saved. But it's the power of the gospel. First Thessalonians 1.5 says that the gospel, Paul says, the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And so, you know, I started off this message originally with like nine points. I had a nine-point message. I thought it was awesome, you know. People are like, oh, it's so long. <laughs> Broke it down to three, and it's still, oh, so long. And so tonight, I want to share one point with you. I have a one-point message that I want to just dig into your hearts. Okay. One point. Okay. I want to submit you one point. And that's this. That missions starts with experiencing the beauty of God. Okay. 
Mission starts with experiencing the beauty of God. When you understand the splendor of His presence, when you understand, experience the, the beauty of His splendor, His majesty, His glory, you understand who He is in, in worship. In other words, mission starts with worship, and worship propels you into missions. Psalms, um, the psalmist knew this in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. David says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. He could have asked for anything in the world. But he said, my, my one desire, the one thing I've asked of the Lord is that I would seek after him, that I may dwell in his temple, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's the one thing. And the fact is that everybody has their one thing. You might come in a place like this. I'm not, I'm not really religious. I'm not really a Christian. But the fact is that we're wired to have that one thing and the altar of our hearts that we bow down to worship, where we give ultimate value, where we build our identity on. Everybody has their one thing, whether it be school or success or grades or relationship or money or, or whatever it might be. Everybody has that one thing. And oftentimes, a good thing could become that one thing. Oftentimes, good things in life could become that one thing. That thing that the Bible calls your idol. And man, the number of people, the number of good Christian young people who've, who allowed themselves to use kids or their family as the excuse for not living a Christian life anymore. How come you can't come to church? How come you can't come to Bible study? How come you can't even do your quiet time? My kids, soccer practice, you know, violin lessons, blah, 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 blah. And I understand we have to value our family. We have to honor our family. We have, to, we have to take good care of our family. But when that becomes the excuse for the next 18 years of your life to fall away from God and not to have a fervor for God anymore, something's wrong. It's that thing that you ultimately bow down to. How do we do it with sin? You know, how do we, a lot of times, this is how people deal with sin. You know, I'm, I'm, I, we started at 7 o'clock and some of you guys I know probably skipped dinner and said, ah, oh, I could, you know, do it eat afterwards and... Stop thinking about uh, pizza. Stop thinking about pizza. Don't think about pizza. Everyone stop. Don't think about thick crust. Especially stop thinking about Tina and I from both from Chicago. Stop thinking about Gino's East thick crust, you know, stuffed pizza. With the dripping sauce and the melting cheese. Stop thinking about it. Everyone stop. Nope. Stop. 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 Everyone, okay. No more, no more thinking about it. you thinking about it <laughs> you might laugh but this is how we deal with our sin God, i gotta stop this oh, i gotta stop no more no more no more no more how does satan accuse us he makes us focus on the sin rather than the savior but when we see the splendor of god when you see his beauty when we see his love when we experience his radical grace and his mercy that's upon us There, there, there's something that starts to change inside. You look at the beauty of God and everything else starts to fade away. There's a song that we used to sing a long time ago. Uh, the words go, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, when you focus on the cross, when you focus on what God, God has done for you, how he sacrificed himself for you, when you come to the presence of God in worship, all these other things start to fade. My line of work, you know, I, I, I see so many young, beautiful ladies here. Man, you guys are awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. I have young pastors ask me, how do I, how do, Pastor Leo, how do you as a, 
as a man, you know, isn't there a temptation out there? Yeah, there's a lot of temptation, you know, especially with the women, a lot of beautiful women out there. And, uh, and, and, and for, you know, and, and I tell them very frankly, you know, even though there's temptation out there, when I look upon my wife and see her as my one thing, you know, I don't go around saying, no, no, no. Oh, 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 oh Tina's back there. Oh, no. Oh, stop. Oh. I turn my eyes towards my, towards my wife, my one thing. Nothing, everything, everything else starts to fade away. I look at my wife. Man, she's so hot. God, you gave me someone like her to me? Man, out of all the girls that you could have. Wow. And I, I totally don't deserve my wife. I, I, she, she's, she's amazing. You know, I, I, you know like, oh, come on. Um, I mean, people, when we're walking on the street and we meet people and, you know, Koreans are so, so frank, you know, they, they look at you and they say, wow, you look so fat. Or what happened to your face? You look like, you know, you look terrible. They look at us, they go, they go oh, you guys are like Beauty and the Beast. And I go, don't call her a beast. We've heard everything. Olive and Popeye and, and or the Bluto and Popeye and or whatever. We've heard everything. But, but, you know, I propose to us this evening that, that we don't have a passion for evangelism or a passion for missions because we, we haven't seen the beauty of God or experienced the power of His presence. Tim Keller says that the observer of beauty always receives a passion to share that beauty with others. Like our brother said, you know, it's the overflow of our hearts. We just naturally want to share that with other people. We see the beauty of God through worship. We experience the beauty of God in, in, in the presence of God through worship. It's just a natural thing to, propo- to, to allow us to, um, to, to, to share that with other people. It's a natural outflow to share that with others. You know, whether it's a beautiful person or an inspirational movie or, or a stirring piece of art or music, you just want to share that with other people. <sighs> I've learned through the years, never trust uh, the advice of a movie, the review of a media, movie, anyone under 25 years old. <laughs> Pastor Leo, youth group kids, Pastor Leo, it's the best movie I ever saw. Oh, you got to go see it. Because <sighs> they don't have the breadth of you know, experience to compare that with other, other movies that I've seen through the years since like the 70s, 60s. You know? <laughs> Beautiful. And, and they share that and go see it. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I saw a movie um, one of the years ago. Uh, one of the, a few of the youth group kids came after you know youth night. Oh, I cried so much. What are, you, what are you talking about? We saw this movie called Click. Guys, it was the best movie ever, and we were crying so much. And okay, I took my wife to see. Oh, terrible! What is this guy buys a, a remote control from Best Buy and he could control the whole world and whatever? I'm like, what a stupid movie! I walked out of there. I wasted ten bucks of my life. The greatest gift that we receive through the gospel isn't going to heaven. But it's God. If God is in heaven, isn't in heaven, when we get there, then I don't want to be there. You know, and when you worship, worship is the experience of God's presence. It's a, it's a warm-up for what heaven's going to be like. Gazing upon the beauty of God. There's nothing like it. It propels us into service and spreading the gospel. We don't need to change the gospel, but we need the gospel to keep changing us. And the gospel is, you know, people think that the gospel is the, gospel is the one, two, three, steps one, two, three, ABC into Christianity. Why are you talking about the gospel? We, I already received the gospel. I already had, know the gospel. And, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, but 
the gospel isn't just the ABCs into this Christian club. Isn't isn't just my ticket into heaven. But the gospel is something that needs to be preached into our hearts every single day, every single moment. And out of that, that flows grace and mercy and love towards others. This gospel is the power for salvation. It's the power for our lives. The gospel, I'll submit to us this evening, is the, is the secret to growth and maturity. We become more spiritually mature when we focus less on what we need to do for God and focus more on what He's already done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that we, we mature as we become great, come to a greater realization of what we already have in Christ. You are already fully loved. You are absolutely upset, accepted. You already belong to Him. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody anymore. You don't have to prove yourself to God anymore. Because through the cross, He sees you exactly as He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. My identity and my security are not in my spiritual progress. It's not in my performance. It's not on how many quiet times I've done this past week. It's not on how many you know, Bible studies I've been to. My, identi- my identity and security are in God's acceptance of me given as a gift in Christ. That's how we grow spiritually. We need to become secure in the truth that we cannot Make God stop loving us anymore. Would you let that just filter into your hearts? Did you hear that? We need to become secure in the truth that we cannot make God stop loving us anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you. It's against his nature for him to love you any more or any less than he does now. It is impossible for God to love you anymore. Wow, he, look at him. He's doing great, great spiritually. I ugh, love him more. What a great guy. Oh, what, a, what a punk. Man, he doesn't even come to me. Man, I'm waiting for him. What a punk. It doesn't waver like this. It's impossible for God to love you any more than he already does. It goes against his nature. And so God has entrusted this gospel to us. Just go preach it to the nations. Go preach it to your campus. Go preach it to the world. And let this be the power that transforms you from the inside out. Uh, skip a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to share, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll go on to a few more things that I want to share with you. Um, when Jesus came back to this earth, the story goes that he went back to heaven. All of heaven was celebrating. You know, um, he, he came back from earth, you know, resurrected from the de- uh, grave and, and went back to heaven. And all the angels were welcoming back. Huge celebration in heaven. And one of the angels turns to him. And this is in the Bible, so it's, don't look for it. It turns to him and says, Jesus, what happens if these guys fail? What if the church stops? What's your plan B? And the story goes that Jesus replied, there is no plan B. My plan is for the church to become the conduits of blessing to the rest of the world, to the nations. And God has given each one of us our own mission field. And, you know, especially young people like this, I, I, this I, I'm so honored to be sharing with you. So oftentimes we, we think, we're thinking about God's, God's will for our lives. What's God's will for my life five years down the road? What God's, what's God's will for my life ten years down the road? And what does God want for me? Who's, who am I going to marry? What does God want me to do? But the fact is that God's will for your life isn't five years or ten years down the road. God's will for your life is here right now. 
And oftentimes we use God's will for my life in the future as an excuse not to obey him today. Right here, right now, this is God's will for your life. You're right in the will of God right now. In India, 100 million people have become Christians in the past 10 years. 100 million people, that's about 10% of the population. God is moving in a powerful way in places like India. Like I said uh, earlier, in communist China, you know, the communists thought we'll eradicate all the Christians and we'll kick out all the uh, missionaries. Um, and, and, and during those 60 years, Christianity in, grew, in China grew 100 times from, nearly one, from 1 million believers to nearly 100 million believers today. Like I said, China is the next sleeping giant. I believe that I, I, this, is, this is my thinking, and, and um, uh, I, this is what I'm praying about, and this is what many people believe, is that Korea's role in missions is prayer. God has gifted Korea in prayer. I mean, 4 o'clock in the morning, you see the old ladies walking down the road going to, going to pray. You know, I'm like, wow, poor them. You know? <laughs> no, no, I mean, you, you, I, no, I, I take that back. Sorry, don't, re, don't record that. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, praise God for them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm saying. And, and you know, and, and God, has, God has really blessed Korea as prayer warriors. You know? And I, I do believe that God is sending out missionaries from Korea and stuff like that. But our, our, our biggest role is to pray. You know, um, they say that in Europe, you know, it's past midnight and, and uh, um, the, it, everyone's asleep already, you know, in, in the missions movement. In, in America, it's maybe about 10 o'clock at night. Their time is about over, you know. In uh, Korea, you know, um, some mission experts say that we're about 7, 8 o'clock, that we're, we passed our prime and that we're just about at that uh, range where we're sending out less and less missionaries. But China is a sleeping giant. It's about uh, maybe 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning where China is about to wake up. And when China wakes up, China is going to be the next wave of missionaries that are going to go into the Middle East and places where Christianity is, is, is illegal. You know, that's the, I believe that's the role of China in these, in these coming years. And, um, by, you know, I shared this uh, at, at um, I shared this at the uh, Itaewon campus, but uh, by 2025, there will be a Bible in every single language and dialect in the whole world. It used to take about 13 years for uh, translators to translate one, uh, you know, the whole New Testament into, uh, from another language. But now it only takes two years because of artificial intelligence and because of, uh, you know, um, because of uh, computer programming and everything. It only takes about two years. Within our lifetime, we could see a Bible translated into every single language in the world. And right now, churches are being planted all over the world 10 times faster than it did 10 years ago. 2009, in Korea, you know, when, when uh, uh, some of you guys might know this, but 2009, in Korea, we passed a landmark in terms of the number of foreigners living here in Korea. One million. One million foreigners living here in Korea. 2009. 2011, 1.5 million foreigners living here in Korea. About half of them are Chinese. I mean, 10 years ago, you go to Myeongdong, everyone speaks Japanese. No, no, konnichiwa, you know. Now you go to, now you go to Myeongdong, ni hama, ni hama, you know, they're all speaking Mandarin. You know. On the subway, you hear English here and there. On the subway, you know, Korea's gotten so good. 10 years ago, it was hard to live here. You know, John might remember this, but man, it was, it was hard to live here. You know, but 10 years ago, if you spoke English, you were kind of a superstar. You know? <laughs> say something, say something. Helicopter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> say something else. 
apartment. <laughs> wow, you're amazing. Oh, we want to worship you. No, no, worship God. You know, and and then you know, and that that's how it was. Now, ten years later, everybody speaks English. You know, a week ago, you know, they, they, a few days ago, they had that uh, they had the national college entrance exam. From those of you guys who are from the states, you might complain about your SATs and whatever. SATs are a joke. You know, compared to what they have to go through. I have a pilot friend who uh, works for Korean Airlines. He's a pilot for Korean Airlines. He said that he had to stay in the sky an hour and a half circling in the sky because they didn't want to disrupt the students who were taking the listening part of the exam. I mean, that's how serious it is. This is one exam that, that you, know, God willing, you know, God willing, something else will change. But uh, one exam you take once in your life, and it will determine where you go to school, who you marry, wh- what job you get, and how well you live, and what area you live in. I mean, imagine the pressure on these kids that were preparing past 18 years just for this one day. Wow. In the States, we take the SAT, what, six, seven times? <laughs> Best one goes to the college. What a joke, you know. SAT two, and, you know, in the Midwest, we took ACTs and, and stuff like that. Man. But things, 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 things are changing. You know, um, uh, Korea is so much easier to live here now. You know, uh, especially for foreigners. Um, there are forty different regions with foreigners of where five percent of the five percent uh, of the population are foreigners. The most foreigners in any location in Korea. Anybody know where that is? No, believe it or not, it's not Taiwan. I thought it was Taiwan, but it's not Taiwan. Most foreigners, Yongdongpo. We need to plant a church in Yongdongpo one of these days. Okay. You guys go back to your um, countries, study hard, come back and plant a church in Yongdongpo. <laughs> That's where the most foreigners are all over Korea. 13%, 13% of the population in Yongdongpo are foreigners. The gospel is advancing more powerfully and more rapidly than ever before. Because so many of Christians all over the world are taking this great commission so seriously and dedicating and even sacrificing their lives to obey this mandate from God. Give me two minutes to share something, uh, three minutes to share something about Islam's coming to, Muslims coming to Korea. Okay? And, and I, I don't normally share this, but I just want to give it as a warning. Okay? Because this is very important. Because um, um, just like the disciples who faced persecution and challenges in the first century, there's a time where, where I believe the greatest threat uh, of the gospel right now is the presence of Islam in, in Asia, okay. the growth of Islam in Asia. In the, past in the past 50 years, Christianity grew 47%, but Islam grew 500% in the past 50 years. Okay. Currently, 25% of the world population believe in Islam, 25%. And it's their goal to turn half the world population into Muslims by the year 2050. They want to turn half the world into Muslims to follow the Muslim faith by the year 2050. Um, Their number one target, Korea. Number one target, Korea. Why Korea? Because they know Korea has so much influence in the world. Culturally, economically, technologically. Korea has so much influence all all over Asia. They know once they get Korea, they could get the rest of the world. That's why they're thinking Korea. Korea's. I was, you know, I was watching K-pop a few weeks ago. I, I don't, I don't normally watch K-pop, you know, but these guys were on the stage, and, and some twenty thousand young people jumping up and down. It was crazy. You know, I thought, man, if we could turn this into worship service, it'd be awesome. You know, if that could be wor- twenty thousand young people jumping up and down, a bunch of you know feminine guys jumping on the stage, and and I, I was watching this. Something didn't look right. 
You know, something, something didn't look. Sorry for those of you guys who like K-pop, but, you know, it was, I was just flipping through. This, these guys, you know, the yellow hair and everything, you know, uh, jumping on the stage. And, and then I was looking around the audience. They weren't Koreans. They were holding this com- concert in Istanbul, Turkey. And these young uh, Turkish uh, young people were singing along with the words, word by word, with the lyrics. They knew every lyric. They knew every word. It was incredible. The following week, this intrigued me. The following week, I, went, I, I turned it on. I turned K-pop again. I was flipping through the channels. They had the same concert in Taiwan. They knew the words exactly, word for word. These Taiwanese young people. I, I, I didn't realize. I went to Cambodia a few months ago. Um, I was in a hotel room flipping through channels. I don't watch TV a lot, by the way. That's a, uh, somehow, yeah. But, but uh, flipping through channels, and um, they had a Korean drama on. It was very poor quality, but Korean drama on TV. They were, it was dubbed in Spanish. Dubbed in Spanish. And they had three, three lines of translation in English, Vietnamese, and Khmer, which is the Cambodian language. And so these Korean actors being, oh, hola, and, you know, um, and, uh, and they were speaking Spanish. It was crazy. And I was thinking, wow, the influence that Korea has on the world. Amazing. This little country, less than the size of my pinky. You know, that God designed in his, in his, um, in his uh, supreme wisdom, sticking out like a little appendix out of huge, vast Asia, like a little diving board. Best airport in the world, built right there. <laughs> when the, Paul, um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you guys know the passage that says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's not that, wow, what a great worship service. Oh, man, I can't wait till next week. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Number one target is Korea. 20,000 Christian missionaries are sent from Korea, are, are, are being sent from Korea. Muslim countries are targeting Korea with 40,000 missionaries to come in. Already, there are 30,000 Muslims in Korea right now. Korean Muslims in Korea. Just a quick, quick, um, quick thing. Number one target, like I said, is Korea. Uh, good-looking Middle Eastern man comes to Korea as a missionary, marries a Korean wife, get $100,000 right off the bat. When Muslims are serious about their faith, average Christian in America gives 2.7% tithe. 2.7%. Average Muslim gives 30% tithe, whatever they make. Back to the Muslim faith. 30%. Good-looking Middle Eastern man comes into Korea, marries a Korean wife. They have kids. All of them become Muslim. Every kid they have receives $10,000 right off the bat. They're building a brand-new Muslim-based university campus, free tuition, and you're guaranteed a job for life. They're building this right now. They're building mosques. On, uh, they're planning on building mosques at an unprecedented. I'm not saying this is scary. We have to love the Muslims. We have to reach out to them. We have to share the gospel with them. But just a sign of the things to come, that just to be aware. Of what, what, wherever God is working, working powerfully, Satan is working just as powerfully. My prayer is that we as the body of Christ wouldn't strive to become more relevant to the world so that people could come to our church but rather that we must live the kingdom life here on earth so that people can rise to be relevant to God's kingdom culture. And God is raising up an army of young people who would embrace this great commission as their calling in life. 
I'll really close with this. Okay, I'll close with this. Anybody ever see a movie called Red Dawn? Red Dawn. It was it came out last year. It was a remake actually from a movie that came out in 1984 called Red Dawn. Anyways, this movie called Red Dawn, and it, the the premise is this. Okay, the 1984 movie. It was about the Russian Russian uh, was the start of World War Three, okay? and Russian uh, Russian army came into. Uh, America, attacked America, and out of all the places they could have attacked, they could have attacked like New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or something like that. They attacked this small little farm town in Michigan. You know? and, and, uh, and they took over this farm town and, and, uh, uh, and there was a group of young uh, high school students or uh, high school and college students who came together and they banded together as guerrillas. They hid out in the mountains and, and they attacked the, 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 the Russian soldiers and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, the new movie that came out last year, the remake, was about North Korea coming to America. Once again, they attacked a small little farm town. And the point of the movie was that, you know, this, this group of kids waged war on this great army. They waged war on this great army that came in to invade their, their land. And when I was in high school, I saw this movie in 1984. I was, like, I think, maybe a sophomore or freshman in high school. I saw this movie, and it had a great, it had a weird impact on my life. Because I thought, this small group of young people made a huge difference in World War III. You know? And I thought about it, and I thought about, you know, at the end of the movie, there's a plaque on this mountain, and it has a list of the names of all the, all the young, young kids who, who fought. And on this plaque, it read something like this. It said, at the dawn of World War III, when our land was invaded, a group of young people, mostly children, um, uh, defended with their lives and gave their lives for our country so that, uh, so that, some, something to the effect so that um, so that we could maintain our freedom and that we could pursue the uh, yeah so that we could have life liberty and pursuit of happiness or something like that. <sighs> I picture a day that we would be the history makers. That one day, maybe up in heaven, there'll be a plaque with all of our names written on it. That would say something to the effect of, in the last days of the world that um, how, how did I, okay in the last days of the world before the before the coming of Christ a generation of young people preached this good news to the ends of the earth they were um, they were not content with just being good Christians but had this white hot passion to make disciples of all nations went out into the world and then the end came I picture that. I, th- I think about that. I think about what a, what a calling that we have in this time in history. That God would raise up an army of young people from across the globe. Men and women who embrace this great commission as their calling in life. Those who would not be content with a no risk, no sacrifice, no point kind of religion that so many people had settled for. They denied their own entitlements and pursuits and arose for their Kairos moment in the time of the great harvest before the Lord Jesus Christ returned. Let's pray together. I want to offer a time to respond um, this evening to God's word and how God has been speaking to you. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher from over 100 years ago, says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. He calls us to pursue this lifestyle of an authentic missional Christianity.
Jesus said on his final days on earth that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And his next words weren't go out and and do something about it, go out and preach the gospel, but his next words were pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up the workers. When we pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up the workers, don't think that it's people out there somewhere in the, across the holy ocean or somewhere, somewhere in some na- uh, other, other land. When we pray, God, raise up the workers for this harvest, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about us. When we pray the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the most scariest prayers that we could pray because we're basically we're relinquishing our rights, our entitlements, and saying, surrendering, and saying, God, you take over. Whatever your will is for me, I surrender it to you. And that's what I want to call you to tonight, that you would surrender yourself to God's will. It's not being about, about being more committed, but realizing and surrendering, his com- his, surrendering to his commitment to you. And just in response, just in response to things I've uh, shared tonight, I just want us to pray together. Just to allow Holy, God's Holy Spirit to, uh, uh, to, uh, to move in our hearts, to surrender ourselves to Him tonight. Why don't we all stand together? Why don't we all stand together? You guys have been sit, standing, sitting there for a long time. Why don't we all stand together? And um, let's, just, uh, let's just call out to the Lord this evening. Okay? I want you to pray for yourself. Just like, um, just like the prophet said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Would you surrender yourself before the Lord tonight? Let's pray together right now.